this is Sadie Gardner, and this is Trafficked, where we cover a human trafficking victim every week. Yeah. Today, my co-host is my gorgeous girlfriend, Jessica LaPlante. Well, do you want to say anything? Hi. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> We're doing Keith Raniere today. Do you know who that is? Um, I started a documentary on this. Which one? Um, whichever one is on Hulu. It's, it's The Vow. No. It's, it's, the Hulu. it's the one with the old Fox News anchor. Oh, that's cool. She's doing it. But when you told me you were doing it, I stopped watching because I wanted to hear your podcast. And now you're so funny hearing it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a lot of pressure. Here we go. Are you, are you excited? excited? Simply thrilled. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with his childhood. Keith Raniere was born on August 26th, 1960, which makes him a Virgo. His mom, Vera, taught ballroom dancing, and his father, James, worked in advertising. At eight, both of his parents got a divorce, and his dad leaves, and his mom becomes an alcoholic and liked to stay up late drinking and taking random pills. As one does. Yes. When he was 13, he claimed he had a transformative experience in which he became enlightened, and his last quote-unquote attachment to the outside world like disappeared. Which must be nice. <laughs> his father tried to explain that around the same time, he and his ex-wife told their son how gifted and intelligent he was. And almost immediately, Keith's demeanor changed. And he acted like he was Jesus fucking Christ. Like, he thought he was superior and better than everybody. And he's dramatic and, like, profound in this belief. He also read disturbing books by Asimov, a, a Boston University professor and author. I Googled gotcha. that and got that for you today. Love the Boston representation. Yes. Thrilled. Always. <laughs> um, specifically, his book titled Second Foundation, which enforced Keith's belief that he had a right to control people like puppets via manipulation. Basically, like, if you're capable of being manipulated, then you deserve it. I know. We love to hear these things. So one day when Keith's 13, his mother calls her ex-husband distraught because dozens of young girls were calling asking to speak to their son. She was nosy and listened in and heard Keith drop the same exact pickup lines on every girl. He'd tell them, quote, I love you. You're the special one. You're the important one. You're the only one in my life. And his mom's like, he's clearly lying. They can't all be special. Right. I kind of wonder if he was like, you're not like the other other girls. So. Uh, our <laughs> favorite line. Do you think he did? Absolutely. He did. <laughs> okay. Probably. So it turns out Keith clearly, was never loyal to any of his girlfriends. And even worse, he'd straight up lie to all of their families about how special they were to him and how he'd like never hurt any of them. And then it was only a matter of time before any given girl discovered his other partners, lovers, or victims. Oh, God. Prolific. So Keith, from a young age, was charismatic and alluring. And he talked about the human potential movement, which is the idea of unlocking people's untapped abilities and the positive impact that could have on the world, like if everyone did so. Mm -hmm in theory. He'd motivate people and tell them to fulfill whatever their gifts and talents might be and to pursue them, but in the way that best benefited Keith, naturally. Of course. So in 1976, when Keith's 16, his mom dies and he drops out of high school. He joins Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Okay. I have no idea. I probably butchered that. Um, when he's 18 and he graduates with a degree in biology and a 2.26 GPA, he tries and fails to get into marketing. I feel like that's because of the biology degree, but like I don't, I don't know anything. You know, so. <laughs> anyone can do marketing, though, right? Who knows? I guess we'd have to ask him. So early on, Keith has a group of friends come over after he's an adult, 
-hmm. to like plan and plot how to package himself as a spiritual guru and leader. Ew. Yeah. So he decides to take what he referred to as the mega test, a take home untimed open book exam that he swore would prove he had like a super high IQ. Nice. So he scores a 46 out of 48. And the 1989 Guinness World of Book Records names Keith as one of the smartest people in the world. Oh, as a result of that stupid test he took. Um, it was a huge selling point to his self-growth campaign and his fucking ego. So by 1992, Keith makes his first attempt at launching a multi-marketing business model, and he calls it Consumers Byline. It's a club that gives its members discounted prices to household appliances or vacations, and members could earn money by recruiting new people and convincing them to sign up. Their pitch was, Keith's one of the smartest people in the world, and you're invited to be a business partner with them. I love that it starts at a pyramid scheme. Always does. That, right. I love it. It literally can't, it wasn't going to go anywhere positive, is what we know. No. So consumer bylines shut down after authorities said it was a pyramid scheme, and over 20 states reported under the attorney general's office. What a great opportunity for you. <laughs> So thankfully, Nancy Salzman waltzes into Keith's life at this moment. Nancy was a personal development coach who believed in the human potential movement and was trained in hypnotherapy. Mm. So dream team. She's also a psychiatric nurse. Rock on. Less of a dream team. Um, she's charismatic and could charm a room effortlessly. And after a four-day collaborative meeting, the pair launched the Executive Success Program, or ESP, later to be called Nexium. Okay. So now it's 1998, and like consumers byline, Nexian's a multi-level marketing structure. The only difference was they're selling personal growth and self-help plans instead of appliances. Keith would be the resident guru and called Vanguard, and Nancy is the president, and her title is prefect. Okay. So she's the second command as well. Mm -hmm. um, Webster's Dictionary defines prefect as a senior student authorized to enforce discipline, and Vanguard as the foremost part of an advancing army or naval force. I just think of Harry Potter to be perfectly upfront with That's you. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Keith greets all women with kisses on the lips. Um, and he dives into creating personal growth workshops, recruiting and hiring PR representatives. Okay. <laughs> Vanguard's the highest rank. His website says he has an IQ of 240. He claims to be the smartest man in the world. And his followers claim he was speaking in full sentences by one and reading by two. Anyone who I'm going to say do it. it, anyone who markets themselves, as the smartest person in the world, mm -hmm. I automatically distrust. You should. I just think that's presumptuous. And I agree. conceited. I agree. And I don't trust it. Completely agree. He develops a system called rational inquiry and says it's a science that explains like the most consistent like the more consistent a person is in their thinking, the more successful they'll be in their life. Okay. The group gathers more than 16,000 members in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and one of the biz biggest successes is convincing the Seagram heiresses to sit in on one of the meetings. Mm -hmm. which is a, that's a really big win. It is. Um, there, Keith convinces Claire Bronfman to join in 2002. Okay. So things are going well until Keith gets greedy and starts acting entitled about the Bronfman fortune. Mm -hmm. He convinces Claire to give him millions of dollars within the first year, and she confesses to her dad in 2003 that she loaned Nexium $2 million. Oh, my God. So that's approximately when her dad accuses Keith of running a cult to Forbes magazine. It's like the first outside gotcha. kind of like accusation. 
Um, by 2011, Smallville actress Allison Mack joins Ranieri's Scheme 2, which made it even easier to convince other people to believe that Nexium could solve their problems as well. Yeah. Allison excels through the ranks and becomes one of the closest confidants of Keith. Um, the next woman that was unlucky enough to fall into the trap was Sarah Edmondson. She was introduced to Nexium at a religious film festival in Florida. She was sold on the program but changed her mind because the down payment was $500. She calls Nexium to get her money back, and they explain, like, she explains that she's an out-of-work actress, and the cost of the class was equivalent to a month's rent. Plus, she needed to be around in case her agent called with more job opportunities. Uh -huh. Damn it. It's fine. I'll get it later. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, sadly for Sarah, Nexium recruiters were phenomenal at their job and trained to talk people. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, we're trained to talk people out of their doubts and handing over their money. So the representative said, you're 27 and don't have any money. Do you want to change that? And Sarah's like, of course I do. And the representative says, how are you ever going to resolve your underlying issues concerning money if you don't take the course? Do you want to be the master of your own ship or do you want to wait around for your agent to call? Okay. So Sarah's like, I don't really want to do this, but I'm not going to get my $500 back. So she ends up attending the intro course. No, just just lose your money and leave. I don't know. That's a lot of money. I think I would pull the Sarah. I would have pulled the Sarah if I already committed and signed it over and like wasn't going to see it ever again. Oh, okay. I feel your hesitant, like your hesitation though. I just boundaries must be nice. Okay. <laughs> So this entailed five full days from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. vegetarian meals provided, and there's nine other students in the training and a lot of people in power suits. We love a good power suit. So the first day is called Rules and Rituals and basically implements a karate belt system. So during class, everyone's required to wear a sash to denote their rank, and new students have white, and then it goes yellow, orange, green, and purple. Can hear something disgusting? Yes. Keith wears a super long white sash because he's a perpetual student. Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Other weird things I did were bowing before and after entering class, reciting the 12-point mission statement. There's a special clap where the highest-ranking student claps and they go down the ladder. They learn that the two large photos on every classroom wall are Keith Ranieri, who must be called Vanguard, and Nancy Salzman, the second in command, who must be called Prefect. And students are required to thank their portrait after each session. So Sarah's highly skeptical, but her friend advised her that by the end of day three, she'd feel better. <laughs> Here's the thing. As a former member of a sorority, <laughs> were you hooked by day three? So much of this just sounds familiar. The cult thing? Yeah. Okay. Love. Love this energy. Can't relate, but that's hilarious. <laughs> um, you terrify me. <laughs> so by the third day, the students learn two of Nexium's most important ideas, which are one, everything in your life is your responsibility. Like whatever your life circumstances are, you're responsible for it. Mm -hmm. Most people go around the world blaming others for their feelings. But Nexium suggests that there may have been a stimulant or a trigger but you created the feeling and gave it meaning. Mm. Okay. So the second is that your belief system is full of errors. So rational inquiry goes one step further and encourages life coaches to ask new recruits to participate in explorative meaning or EM sessions. You take an issue in your life that you have an emotional reaction to and the instructor, like instructor asks questions. So Sarah's a neat freak and her situation was her boyfriend leaving dirty dishes in the seat. She'd consistently come home from work and freak out and argue with him over the dishes. 
So oftentimes there's a memory and Sarah's memory that kept coming up during the discussion with her life coach was that her parents fought over the dishes before they split up when she was two. So what Sarah makes dishes mean, according to Nexium, is divorce. Dishes cause divorce. So a good facilitator would then point out that like dishes logically do not cause divorce. And since working through that at Nexium, Sarah stopped fighting with her boyfriend over dirty dishes. Okay. Nexium calls these breakthroughs integrations, but a cult experts call a cult expert calls them engineered epiphanies, mm -hmm. which I think is cool. So while Sarah's watching a video of Nancy Salzman talking about her daughter, Lauren, who always quit extracurricular activities whenever she struggled, it really speaks to, like, to Sarah. So much so that she believes that was the root of all her problems too. Mm -hmm. She gives up too easily when tasks become difficult. So by the end of the video, a Nexium rep says, you can work your way up the sash levels, recruit new members, and rid yourself of your psychological restraints. All you have to do is pay more money and sign up for more classes. Okay. Yeah. So once inside the company, you're assigned a personal coach, they become your mentor, track your progress, and they can punish you if you miss a goal. Oh. So once you become a coach, you're required to work for free. You're a coach for free. You lead seminars for free. You set up events with tables and chairs for free. And many people decide to leave during this time. And the implication was, okay, these people are weak and don't want to work through their issues. In reality, these people were victims of labor trafficking. Yes. And that's illegal. You have to pay people for their work. Right. But of course, they like flip that around to make it their issue. So Keith breaks Sarah down until she's a convincing salesperson. He makes her practice her pitches over and over again until he believes she's committed to the act. And it worked. She ends up bringing in 2,000 students and has the highest closing rank in the company. Oh, my God. So here's her pitch, by the way. She walks into a room full of people and asks them to raise their hands. They comply. Then she says, can you raise your hand two inches further? And everyone does. And then she says, I had a guy stand on his desk to put his hand through the ceiling tiles. Why didn't it you? Because of your limiting beliefs. You have a limiting belief that when someone says to put your hand up, you have to do it in the way that you think is acceptable. And whatever the belief is, you chose not to take it to the full edge of what you could achieve. Can you imagine your life without those limiting beliefs? Okay. So like Sis had a, she had a pitch. She, yeah. She's she a lot did. more compelling. Like I don't know if I would have bought Keith's thing, but I might have bought Sarah's. For sure. I don't know. So Sarah admired Keith and sought his approval. She ran ESP, the Executive Success Program in Vancouver, and it was her entire life. She ends up meeting her husband there. Um, she's pulling in as much as $20,000 a month. Oh my God. But to get to this point, she spent over $100,000 in courses, and she spent $10,000 on one workshop, um, which is believable because even the entry courses were selling for like three grand. Cute. Yeah, so like not an affordable or like. I don't know, responsible investment, but I don't have any investment skills, but I just don't know. Um, to invest and spend money as aggressively as Sarah was, it took quite a bit of dedication. One of her old coworkers asked her to stop texting her cuss words because she didn't understand how she was intending to express them. And Sarah said, oh, well, do you want me to change or do you want to work on your internal issues, Jan? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Listen, <laughs> I disagree with a lot. But that text in particular. It's pretty messed up. A queen. A queen. <laughs> Do you want to work on your internal issues, Jan? So another time Jan complained <laughs> that she was overworked and didn't have any time with her boyfriend. And Sarah said, what is quality of time, you know? If you could change your internal represent representation of quality time, then you two could sit by each other and work and get things done. And it would feel like quality time because you're together. 
Okay. So this illustrates how Nexium tools were coercive and insiders called this the Nexium flip. Like it was cute when it was like personal growth and getting you to become a better version of yourself, but it wasn't cute when it was like used to evade actual issues clearly, obviously. So quick outside world update. In 2003, Forbes wrote a profile on Keith Raniere alleging he uses manipulative cult-like tactics. Years later, New York Post wrote unflattering articles adding momentum to the rumors and investigations. In 2010, Vanity Fair publishes an article about Edgar Bronfman Sr. and his failed attempts to save his daughters from the cult. In 2012, the Albany Times Union posts the secrets of Nexium, including allegations of pedophilia, and they allege Keith was raping girls as young as 12. Oh my God. Yeah, it's really bad. Okay, back inside the cult. By 2017, Sarah's recruitment gig was drying up and she couldn't get more people into the system or retain them. That's when Laura approached her to join DOS. So Sarah married her husband, an American named Nippy, who was an active member of the Nexium men's group Society of Protectors, or SOP. Okay. Women had their own group called Jeunesse, which is like a stepping stone to DOS, which was created in 2015. Anyway, both groups were trained on the biological differences between men and women. Ugh. Lots okay. of these trainings included sermons of Keith Raniere going on bizarre rants. So trigger warning, because believe Keith's beliefs are skewed and fucked up. Also, I'm going to repeat that so many times throughout this. Get ready. It's going to be fun. (laughs) So one example is when he begins a lecture by asking how many men in the room had orgasms. Then how many of them had by 14? He said if he asked a group of women the same question, almost nobody would raise their hands. And a lot of them don't know or have no idea what an orgasm even is. He goes on to say, and I quote, what the hell? Could you guys go without having an orgasm? Men have it in our genes. We do it with anything that will accept it. That's the nature of fucking. Women don't have to be driven to have sex. They never had to be driven to have sex. It was bountiful. They were taken care of like sheep. They could get fucked to their capacity. Oh. End quote. Okay. So other takeaways from the gender differences are that men are physical, cut off from their emotions, need to protect women and spread their seed. Women need to be loyal to one man. Men are disciplined. Women are indulgent. Keith claimed this went back to when men and women were hunters and gatherers. Trigger warning because Keith's beliefs are skewed and fucked up. He said, quote, this one's really bad. Sorry. It's okay. Quote, when you're pissed, then fucking feels good. If we conquer a woman, if we grab the thing we want to fuck, whatever it is, and fuck it, that's the type of acceptance. You know, it's a better acceptance that they enjoy it. End oh, quote. Okay. Um, don't even know where to start unpacking that. So we don't have time to unpack. We really, really don't. That. We really don't. So the curricula, the curriculum is misogynistic. Male-dominated, female-influenced, our behaviors linked to our genetics and explain our problems in the world. Keith said complaining was a female trait. <laughs> <laughs> so his entire program is really a reflection of his view of women and that he was able to perpetuate by having women around him agree to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Keith got off on hurting women, but to hurt women there were women around him that made it seem safe. Right. I don't know. Um, Sarah says a large part of it was buying into this theory that many of her problems stem from being a woman. For example, she was too princessy in the sense that she didn't want to take the trash out and get dirty. Another explanation Keith would provide was that it was because she was weak and women didn't follow through. They like to quit when things get difficult. <laughs> so Keith said, you've never heard a man complain that they wouldn't show up because of cramps. Men would never do such a thing. Women do, and it's annoying. I'm going to say it. Vera raised a bitch. 
Vera raised a little bit. Vera raised a little bitch in Keith Raniere. Mm. I'll drink to that. For sure. Keith would make women believe this and in the process destroy their self-esteem. He'd say things about how oblivious and frustrating women are. And before his female followers knew it, they parroted the same insults, becoming impatient and annoyed by the oblivious women around them too. <sighs> I know. So women learned they needed to be more obedient. A good wife is an obedient wife. So having questions and doubts as a woman in Nexium were proof of deficiencies, largely due to being a woman and reasons they needed to be devoted to the program and or Keith. The roots, right. So for Sarah to really work through her issues, she took thousands of hours of courses flying to Albany for trainings. She had a personal coach, paid for one-on-one -on -one sessions with higher members, and the higher the member, the more enlightened they would be and like fully integrated. Keith's the only one who's obtained the standard, if you can believe that. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. No. So they told Sarah something was wrong with her. She had an inner deficiency and she was too dependent and emotional. But if she followed Keith's lead, she might be able to control it or at least learn to manage it. So, so throughout Sarah's journey, she meets Lara Sals Lauren Salzman, a.k.a. Prefect's daughter. They become immediate friends, and Lauren ends up not only being Sarah's maid of honor, but officiating the wedding and marrying her and her husband. Whoa. Yeah. So in Nexium classes, some students begin believing Keith was his... He's okay. No, the puppy's fine. Okay. It's perfect. So in Nexium classes, some students began believing Keith was a superior enlightened being, and they believed he could control the weather. Oh. Ranieri convinced many of his students that he was a celibate monk who had renounced all material desires, including sex and money. Wow. So this was threatened. So for a man who really requires sex and money. And money. It's an interesting. Cool. It's an interesting narrative. I love it here. It's awesome. So... This is threatened when Kristen Keith has his son in 1997. Oh. Um, Keith told everyone that the child was actually an orphan whose mother died during childbirth and whose father was unknown and who, like, this devout follower of his, like, took on because she's just a sweet human. Um, eventually, Kristen gets tired of that and her son being labeled an orphan, and the two flee, like, flee with the help of New York State Police. Wow. So it's bad. It was pretty intense. It's the bad place. It's the bad place. So this section is titled Keith's Harem and First Victims. I'm going to blanket trigger warning. Just skip this section, maybe. I don't okay. know if you're having a good day or if you're even in the slightest mood or you have any anything that could get triggered here because that's just not. We're not We're not here for that. We're not here for this negativity. Mm -mm. Okay. Except for you. You actually have to be here for the second <laughs> Except for me. I get to listen to all of it. Cheers. We'll to that one. Okay. Mm. So Keith developed a pattern of tricking women into being faithful and monogamous to him by calling them the chosen one. The issue. The chosen one. The chosen Not one. the chosen ones. No. No us. Okay. It's a really valid I think, question. Okay. I just felt like that. It's an important distinction. Thank you. The issue was the women typically left him after realizing he was cheating and they were definitely not the only chosen one. Right. Yes. Predictable. So Linda Smith was his girlfriend when he starts Consumers Byline. She's the first suspected chosen one, but she broke up with him. And all we know is that he hired her daughter to teach ESP courses instead. Oh. Creepy. Creepy. During his trial... A total of 15 victims read impact statements about the trauma they've experienced since he entered their lives. 
Tony, Natalie, a victim and ex-girlfriend of Ranieri, left her husband to be with Keith in 1991. She enjoyed his speeches, but was convinced of his power when he supposedly cured her smoking addiction after a single one-on-one -on -one consultation. Mm -hmm. Engineered epiphanies. Mm -hmm. We love them. We love them. They traveled the country selling consumer byline to stadiums full of people. She was another chosen one, except Keith predicted that she would also have his golden avatar child. No pressure. Whoa, golden avatar child. I know, what a title. Whew. Simultaneously, he started psychologically torturing Tony, trigger warning, by requiring, requiring her to complete bizarre requests to cure her phobias. So one time, Keith demands that she keeps the body of a dead puppy in her freezer to overcome her issue with death. Mm. Okay. The two dated for eight years until Tony left him in 1999, and Tony has a theory that Keith uses women to prop himself up. He's replaced each of the key women with someone with more connections, accolades, or money, and he keeps improving the last model with a younger woman or girl. Tony was the one was one of the first people to unapologi unapologetically stand up to Keith and tried to warn other women and girls to stay away from him. So a, a freaking icon. She's incredible, for her. and she's overcome so much. I can't even imagine. And her life's been made like a living hell by this man. So Keith wrote Tony love letters saying he might die if she didn't come back. He threatened her, sued her, and tried to lure her to Mexico, but Tony refused to be with him again. Trigger warning because Keith's, Keith's beliefs are skewed and fucked up. According to people in Keith's inner circle, he planned to have Tony imprisoned and raped if she took him up on the free vacation to Mexico. He sued her and intervened in her bankruptcy filings just to make her life harder than it needed to be. Eventually, a judge fined Keith a million dollars for lying to the court for retaliation against jilted victims and bringing cases without merit. In 1984, when Keith was 24, he's accused of having sex with underage Gina Hutchinson after he's caught climbing through the 15-year-old's bedroom window. Gina's older sister confronts Keith. He told the sister not to be pissed off because Gina was actually older than her physical age because Keith claimed the minor was a Buddhist goddess and he as an enlightened being, was meant to be with her in sexual harmony. Pardon me, but what the fuck? Mm. I agree. Tragically, Gina was abused by Keith for nearly a decade, following him through his failed business models and working for him until she committed suicide in 2002. <gasps> her sister remembered her as a sweet Mormon child manipulated by Ranieri's relentless obsession with her. To illustrate... Keith also called Gina the chosen one and convinced her to drop out of school at 15. He told her he was not going to be monogamous, but that she needed to be because she was a woman. Fun fact, that take-home take IQ test he took and used to bolster his claim of being the smartest man alive, Gina helped him fucking take it. Are you? She helped him. Are you fucking kidding no, me? No, like she did half of it. I know. She eventually refused to be monogamous to Keith after years of watching him be with other people. Her sister accused Keith of teaching a class on when it's appropriate to commit suicide after getting jealous and seeing the person you love with other people. What? I can't I'm sorry. Think. I'm sorry. No, yeah. yeah. Can we? Yes. Sorry, everyone. Can we take a step back? Take he a step back. He taught a class on how to commit suicide. When to commit suicide. Allegedly. Do we have to use allegedly? I don't think so. I totally trust Gina's sister. Like, if we're picking sides, I'm on Gina's sister's side. Okay. But I just, I I just, just say that because the yeah. claims haven't been substantiated. I just needed a minute. Sorry. 
I can't imagine what her sister experiences daily, but I fucking hope she's healing too. Like, Jesus Christ. It's probably not for Tina. Yeah, for real. You want to take a break? Mm -hmm. Cool. We'll come back. Okay. Okay, we're back. We're ready to be happy again. <laughs> Trigger warning. Again? Yes. Just I like to blanket state those things whenever I'm referring to Keith and his actions. Um, Keith starts sexually grooming his next victim, Camilla, at 13. And she's placed second in her... Oh, um, at 13, after she placed second in her 8th grade spelling bee, that's like when they meet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. I know. Normal. He groomed her until her 15th birthday, at which point he began sexually assaulting her. Mm. He was 45. Oh. She's the basis of the prosecution's child pornography charges. Keith had been taking naked pictures for the duration of his abuse, and FBI agents found her pictures on his hard drive, just like she promised they would. I know. Camilla is still healing, and she shared that she's been battling an eating disorder since Keith made her maintain a weight of 100 pounds or less, and she's 5'5". Five five. I'm 5'5". Five five. Yeah. That's not fucking normal. No. She begged Keith to take her to the doctor after developing physical signs of food restriction, and he told her to lose the weight first, and then he'd take her. Are you fucking kidding? No. That's how horrific Keith is as a human. Can we call it like it's a monster? So Camilla had three siblings, all of whom were involved in Nexium as well. Her two sisters were engaging in sexual relationships with Keith, but they were adult women when they began those, I guess if you can call them relationships. Um, in case you are wondering how he had access to all these children, both of her parents were Nexium members, and her dad and oldest sister still are. Still are. Still are, and they're still vocal, like, supporters of Keith. Wow. I know. I can't imagine how traumatizing that is still. <clears throat> Camilla's sister, Daniela, was a member from 16 to 26. She was actually awarded a scholarship to a school in Switzerland, but she chose to move to the U.S. instead to join Nexium. Oh, I know. She moved to Albany to help the group and work for Ranire. Keith groomed her until days after her 18th birthday and then demanded she have sex with him, though he was in his 40s. And she didn't know he was saying the same thing to both of her sisters, one of whom was a minor. Mm -hmm. All three girls became pregnant at different points, and all three had abortions at Keith's insistence. Daniela also once confessed to Keith that she had a crush on another man, and he forced her to stay in a bedroom for two years, accusing her of an ethical breach in the program. She stayed in one bedroom for two years? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. He confiscated her birth certificate as a further, like, consequence. Oh, my God. She wasn't able to get another copy until she found a human rights attorney to help her. I would do that one day. I would totally be a human rights attorney. This is why you're going to do what you're going to do. I yes. Think that's really cool. Uh, okay. Daniela testified in court that Keith kept her in that bedroom for nearly two years, and she was stripped of her phone and her computer, and then her immigration and identification papers. Mm -hmm. But according to some sources, she never had them in the first place, which also supports the notion that, like, like either way, this is human trafficking. But traffickers do either. They either take your papers or you never had them. And the second you are legally in this country, you're just out there, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. You're at their mercy. Mm -hmm. And you're officially being trafficked. Like, you have no say in anything. They take advantage and exploit you. Ugh. So, Daniela's only way of getting on a plane and leaving the country 
were either like taken from her or she never had access to them in the first place. And so she asks to leave multiple times over the years, but only Keith could determine if he, if she fixed her ethical breach or not. So of course she never did. Right. Um, she writes to him every day pleading to get out because he forces her to. Yeah. So she calls him a quote, sociopath who throws at our pain end quote, a monster and a master manipulator. She says he's nothing special and called his attorney a liar. And she concluded that she can't wait for his name to be forgotten soon enough. Same sis. India and her mother, Catherine Oxenberg, who's a star on dynasty started taking courses together in 2011. India was 19 and liked the guidance and direction the group seemed to offer its members. India's mother, Catherine, didn't buy into the entire concept and quit soon after she started, but she couldn't stop India from growing more and more enamored with the cult. Now India says she was brainwashed into believing Keith was helping her for seven years. He convinced her she was learning self-help and personal growth, but she says he taught her the opposite and treated her inhumanely. Catherine recalled, recalled, quote, the most painful thing is expecting this big open-armed reunion, and instead her daughter looked at her and said, quote, I know I love you, but I can't feel it, end quote. Oh, I know. A former member referred to as Jay testified that Allison told her that she should seduce Keith, trigger warning, um, and let him take a naked photo of her, and Allison said it would, quote, get rid of all of your sexual abuse trauma. Jay testified in court, quote, I was horrified and enraged with the fact that she would try to re-victimize me and say that doing something sexual with someone that I obviously didn't want to do that with would heal my trauma. I was disgusted, end quote. Another victim testified that Keith told women that they would see a blue light if they swallowed his semen. Oh, okay. Trigger warning. Yeah, big trigger warning. 12-year-old Rhiannon fell victim to Keith when she was when he was 30 and she was supposed to be another chosen one and likely would have been except she ran away from home at 13 after approximately 60 sexual assaults although he had a harem of women around him at all times that he had sexual relations with relationships with keith was a predator he forced these women to undergo so many abortions to maintain this narrative that he was a celibate guru that the employees in the clinic recognized his victims and wives oh. Um, but Keith was smart enough to know that he needed women around him to enable him to continue preying on other vulnerable women and girls. Mm. Nancy Salzman was chosen to be his prefect, and when she was too old to stay in the harem, she offered to her two teenage daughters to Keith to be his new chosen ones, but only Lauren showed interest in her mother and Keith's scheme. Yeah, I just also feel like, why are there not services in place where if multiple women are coming in frequently mm -hmm. and they all you you know who they are and you know who's impregnating them did they know i don't know actually but i i agree with you this like, does why do you not offer them help or even just be like are you guys fine are you fine maybe they did maybe they did i don't know i feel like i i hear you <sighs> Okay, so special organizations within the group. So Nancy Salzman's daughter, Lauren, ran the DOS program. DOS stands for, well, it's Latin for, uh, of course <laughs> it is. Dominice Obesiquius Sororia, and that's Latin for master over the slave women. Really original. Uh, for the record, saying something shitty in Latin doesn't make it less shitty. Ranieri recruited women from his inner circle, and these women viewed Keith as their master. 
to execute the DOS program. So like he got them, okay. Mm -hmm. So over time, they fed into the idea that they were also masters and at Keith's command began recruiting women to be their own slaves. So CNN reported Ranieri created DOS as a way for women to have their own society where men would play no role, except Keith was at the top of the pyramid and calling all the shots for the lowest chain of victims. Mm -hmm. To enter DOS, you had to provide collateral like naked photos or branding your body. Keith said, quote, yeah, I think it should be like a sacrifice, a submissive offering, end quote. Other women provided access to their bank accounts or recorded videos with damaging stories that would hurt their closest loved ones if released. And half the times they weren't even true statements or allegations. Keith supervised a group of women, which were the first line masters, and they enlisted and monitored a bottom rung of sex slaves who were ultimately under Keith's control. The first line masters include Lauren Salzman, and a bunch of other women, um, including Allison Mack. Sarah Edmondson, the recruiter who operated the Nexium branch in Vancouver, was invited to be a part of DOS by Lauren herself, who also officiated her wedding, mm -hmm. if you remember. So someone she trusts. Um, Lauren asked, quote, how committed are you to your growth? Are you all in? And Sarah's intrigued, and Lauren continues, oh, we use the words master and slave. Mm. Lauren would be Sarah's master, and Sarah would be her slave. Sarah would have to obey her commands, and Sarah could recruit her own slaves and be their master. She said, Lauren told her not to think of it as like a master-slave program. The master just represents a devotion for something outside of themselves, and this is about being selfless. This is about challenging women to not be indulgent. <sighs> Lauren said she wanted to take Sarah on as a lifelong commitment, and that, that flattered Sarah. So when Sarah asked who Lauren's master was, or who else was in DOS, she was told it didn't matter. It was a secret. She just knew it was a group for only women and that the details didn't matter. And part of the journey would be not asking certain questions and not knowing since Sarah likes to control things. Okay. Yeah. So I wrote a quote as well. So part of being in DOS was like repeating these chants and these like, I guess, doctrines almost. So one of the quotes is, the best slave derives the highest pleasure from being their master's ultimate tool. You surrender your life, mind, body for an unconditional use, end quote, which is for Keith. Um, mm. So Sarah's been on both sides of the next same flip. Uh, like when she tried to reason with Lauren about the possibility of getting a mark on her body to, to display her dedication to DOS. She's like, hey, Lauren, I don't want a permanent mark on my body. And Lauren's like well what do you make it mean and sarah says it's a scar it's ugly and lauren's like well if it means what if it means your commitment to your own growth oh god <laughs> so lauren and sarah go back and forth like this but sarah concedes to most of lauren's demands and they were odd for example sarah needed to be able to respond to lauren's texts day or night in less than 30 seconds or she and the rest of lauren's slaves would all be punished Eventually, Lauren asks Sarah to travel to Albany for initiation to meet her sisters for the first time. She submits and travels to New York to complete her integration into DOS with her husband and toddler with her in March of 2017. Oh. Right? I know. I added that because I also was just like, I think it's it matters. It's relevant. It's relevant. Like she's a mom. She's waking up in the middle of the night to reply to a girl in 30 seconds or less when she has an infant in the house. But I also think it's relevant. Man. Yeah, I also think it's relevant to touch on the fact that like she had a support system, she had a husband, mm -hmm. she had a family, and 
it speaks so much to the manipulation of Nexium that like or DOS. Right. That right. She had a life. She had a life. And she was willing to sacrifice all of it. Her husband, her support system. I just her can't family, believe she was child. willing to sacrifice her sleep. It's that <laughs> chapter of her existence. I know. Like she's barely sleeping and she's replying to some girl's messages who's her master. Like I'm just blown away. I know sleep is a big thing for you. Um, yeah, you're right. It is it matters to me a lot more than most, actually. <laughs> anyway, okay. I feel like we got distracted. Ooh, anyway. Oh, sorry. That was good though. Um, <laughs> you're so funny. Okay, you're right. So that night, Sarah's led upstairs to the guest room and told the strip down and enter the bedroom next door when she's completely naked. Oh, less less funny. Less funny. In response to her anxiety over being completely naked around people she's never met before, Lauren tells her to get over her body issues and that she needs to be more comfortable around women. Don't be anxious. Like that's fucking helpful. You know what? That just cured all of my anxiety. I don't even Thank feel self-conscious anymore. Love that. Thanks, Lauren. So Sarah takes off her clothes and hears more women being ushered into the house and directed to do exactly what she did. They're handed napkins and told to blindfold themselves. And then mm-hmm. they're sat on fur rugs downstairs. And she knows there's four other women next to her. So there's five of them total. So Lauren takes out her laptop and begins reading some of the weird scriptures like I just read you. It's mm-hmm. concerning stuff. Lauren tells them to put their clothes back on and insists that they stay blindfolded. She leads them all into a car and tries to confuse them with odd turns, but they arrive at Alice and Mac's house for the rest of the ritual. Um, Lauren leads them into the guest room, and there's a chest and a medical table in the room, and the rest is empty. Trigger warning? Mm-hmm. Dr. Danielle, Danielle Roberts enters, and she's the person who's giving them their mark slash tattoo. So the girls are stripped, and Dr. Roberts said they needed to figure out the placement. So the goal is for it to be underneath the underwear line so that the women could still wear swimsuits without their marks visibly peeking out. And Lauren says something about it being the symbol for elements, like earth, fire, water, air. Um, Lauren says the mark represented our connection to the earth as women or some bullshit. Mm -hmm. Sarah's upset, and she says this isn't dime-sized, and Lauren giggles as if she doesn't know how to fucking measure and shows Sarah her mark. And it looks like a really awful red scar, not the delicate lines of a stencil, which were shown to Sarah. And the first woman lays on the table, and Lauren directs another person to stand by her head, two others to hold her arms, and she and the last woman would hold both legs down. Oh my god, it's not a tattoo. The trigger warning. The doctor takes out a pen and that looks like a laser. It's a cauterizing iron. Mm-hmm. She holds it over her skin and touches her for the first two-inch line. And the woman recoiled and screamed. And now she has a little hole of burnt flesh where the iron cuts her. Lauren passes out medical masks to cover the rest of the women's noses and mask the smell. Which, you're not masking that smell. But anyway. Sarah starts sobbing but doesn't want to leave her friend who's hurting so badly like right in front of her. She knows that she can't leave, but desperately wants to before it's her turn. It takes the first woman 40 to 45 minutes for the doctor to go through every line. And between each line, Lauren makes them pause to spew more sermons. And at the very beginning of each girl's branding, they're forced to say, quote, Master, would you brand me? It would be an honor, end quote. Sarah said, I don't want this mark scar on my body i don't have any marks no piercings no tattoos i don't want it it's ugly it's atrocious it's painful and lauren said this pain is a symbol of your commitment to yourself to the highest version of yourself 
you're going to go through this and this will be a mark on your body, but it's not a tattoo because tattoos can be taken off. This scar you'll have forever because you're always going to be committed to your growth and to your highest self on this journey. You're the highest rank here. Show them how to do this. Don't be indulgent. So may I mm -hmm. process please out loud, please. She was promised a dime sized tattoo mm -hmm. and instead was branded. Yes. For a prolonged period of time. Oh, yeah. God, I, I can't even imagine the drama. I can't either. It's it's horrifying. And they make them ask for it. Oh, as you're if right. that you're is right. consensual. You're right. If forcing somebody to ask you for consent isn't consensual. Consent 2020. Can you drink to that? Yes. Consent 2020. Love you. Keep going. You ready to go? Mm -hmm. So Sarah's self-doubt gets really bad here. She starts telling herself, you have to be willing to do this. You committed. You're always backing out. You don't follow through. You're looking for the back door, just like Keith said women, like all women do. Just fucking do it. So Sarah lays down and tries to lay as still as possible. She saw how much longer it took the first women because they fought and resisted so badly. And so Sarah thinks if she just doesn't move, um, then she can get through this. And she literally thinks of when she delivered her child and like prepares herself. Oh God. The most searing, awful pain drags across her body. She says it's like a fire flame across her skin. And every time she opened her eyes, quote, there was Lauren standing there loving her, end quote, in mm. reading her religious scripture. Sarah weeps and she felt the pain and the love for the women around her. They were going through this with like as a group and sharing this trauma. And she says a competitive streak kind of came out of her. And she's like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be the fastest. I'll just get like all the way done and it'll be over. And like she was, it took 30 minutes. I mean, I don't know. When it's done, she was proud of herself and relieved it was over. And she thought, if I can do this, I can do anything. I don't know if this is like also still an engineered epiphany, but I'm upset. I don't like this. It's just I'll so say it. up. I know it's controversial, but mm. I don't like this. I hate Keith Raniere as well. Never oh. trust the Keith. Never trust Never the going Keith. to. Oh. I want to be like, sorry if any Keith hears this, but I'm not. I'm not even sorry. So before placing their clothes back on, <laughs> all the women are forced to take a picture. Um, a oh, group, my God. I know. A group picture all naked with their brands. They keep taking it until everyone looks happy and nobody's covering up any of their bodies. Like girls on a beach without any of their clothes on is how Lauren describes it. Jesus. Um, Sarah doesn't remember getting home. She sees her husband and she knows that she wasn't able to share any of this with him. And all he knew was that she was at Lauren's uh, doing something with the girls. And he was indifferent and she didn't sleep that night because she was just reliving the trauma over and over and over again. So the next day, Sarah starts a 10-day intensive program with the other, like with other women in Nexium, and she wonders if any of them are also in DOS. India was also indoctrinated into DOS. She said the slaves had to ask their masters for permission to eat or sleep. They were instructed to drastically lose weight too. India was told that she needed to diet for discipline and to build character in order to be precise. Now she says, quote, because Keith is perverted and he's a sexual predator that preys specifically on young women and he desired the body of a 12-year-old and he actually required me to be 106 pounds. She was branded as well. Hmm. DOS recruits were targeted if they had specific difficulties, difficulties in their lives, including feeling like they weren't climbing the ranks quickly enough within Nexium. 
In total, eight women were asked to join DOS. They were branded with Keith's initials, starved, sleep deprived, and forced to participate in group sex or else their collateral was at risk of being leaked. Mm-hmm. Criminal charges in the trial. The FBI began investigating Keith after the New York Times published an article with about Sarah, including her branding of Keith's initials on her pelvic bone. They ignored quite a few tips from defectors and detractors who already left the group, but by 2017, they were confident enough to start investigating. I don't know. Why? I don't know. Okay. It seemed that Keith had a growing wake of people in his past accusing him of being a cult leader, though. So during this time, he moves from Albany, New York, to Vallarta, Mexico. On March 26, 2018, Keith was arrested in Mexico and extradited to Brooklyn. He was charged with sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, and conspiracy to commit forced labor. The FBI added racketeering later, and they accused him of building a criminal enterprise that coerced and manipulated women to enrich himself. True. Prosecutors said Nexium employed tactics including psychological manipulation and isolating members from family and friends alongside sexual and mental abuse. Mm -hmm. Over the six-week trial, the prosecutors explained how Doss blackmailed, imprisoned, and brainwashed the slaves. Video recordings of Keith and Allison talking exposed Keith asking, quote, do you think the person who's being branded should be completely nude or sort of like held to the table like a sort of like a sacrifice? End quote. Jesus. I know. I can't imagine the jurors on that trial either. Mm-mm. Lauren took the stand and explained how she was uh, how she lured her six slaves to be branded and how the first victim writhed in pain. Quote, she was squealing and screaming and it looked horrendous. It scared the other girls, end quote. Mm-hmm. Lauren confessed she and other masters would paddle their victims with leather belts. <sighs> Keith would call throughout and ask for pictures to see how things were going, and he frequently asked the masters to flick their wrists harder when paddling. This is fucking disgusting. I agree. Currently, Sarah's wedding photo hangs on the wall with a yellow sticky note in the middle covering Lauren's face. I like it. Camilla said Keith screwed with her mind for so long that it's difficult to utter his name, so she only refers to him as he. She still hears his voice in her head, and that's a daily struggle. She says he manipulated her for what he wanted and that he forced her to become unreachable to her parents, brother, and friends until nobody would worry about her except for him. He knew the things that mattered most to her and what she feared, and he used those against her. Sarah testified in court, quote, you are not my coach, not my guru, or my teacher. You're a parasite, a grifter, and a liar, which are all words that Keith used to, like, describe people that weren't a part of Nexium, Like, unenlightened humans. That's kind of super badass. It's super badass. The jury deliberated a mere five hours before finding Keith guilty of all seven counts. Two counts of sex trafficking, one count of attempted sex trafficking, one count of sex trafficking conspiracy, one count of conspiracy to commit forced labor, one count of wire fraud conspiracy, and one of racketeering. Right before the judge delivered his sentence, Keith delivered a statement of his own to the court. (laughs) Of course he did. He theoretically apologized for the victim's pain, but called them liars and denied any wrongdoing five times. Quote, I do believe I am innocent of the charges. It is true I am not remorseful of the crimes I do not believe I committed at all. Judge... Garofis noted the cult leader's lack of remorse despite committing crimes that were, quote, cruel, pervasive, and extremely serious, end quote. Specifically, he told Keith the way he treated Camilla was cruel to the point of inhumane, and he continued addressing the court, reprimanding Keith for the incalculable harm he inflicted onto her. Mm-hmm. She was a minor. Next, he laid into Ranieri's attorney for claiming his client, 
quote, meant no harm. The judge demanded that he then explain Keith's sexual attacks on the minor. He proceeded to say, quote, don't treat me, this court, as if it's not the intent to do what he did. Continuing to suggest his client's innocence would be an insult to the intelligence of anyone who listens. I've heard enough about your client's theories. Let's get down to facts. You don't have to be the smartest man in the world to manipulate and to harm other people. End quote. Whoa. I know. <laughs> Love. I know. Love that. The judge I sentenced. Sorry. No, you didn't. You're fine. Don't apologize. The judge sentenced Ranieri for 120 years in federal prison and fined him $1.75 million. I know. I love this energy. Can I just say? Yeah, a huge victory for the victims. Uh It's just a step in the right direction of healing Mm because they're going to be healing for the rest of their lives because of that. I feel like it's still not enough. Of course it is. It's so much more than so many survivors get. It's like, um, yeah, I hope he rots in prison, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so much worse, but I can't say it. <laughs> I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Keith was also forbidden to contact any of the remaining Nexium associates and banned from viewing any kind of porn, which I find like also a power move. Love. Interesting ban as well. Like Love I see you, Josh. No porn. No porn of any are kind. a pedophile. You asshole. None of it you get. Mm. Keith says the prosecution set him up and tampered with his hard drive. Mm-hmm. I went on a little bit of a tangent here, and I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. I'm not sure how that makes any fucking sense since they found naked pictures of almost every member of DOS there, which mm-hmm. proved that he was operating a sex trafficking and forced labor organization. Yes, baby. He also tried to say that images of child pornography were found outside the scope of the provided warrant to search his study. He claimed a Fourth Amendment violation, and the court said, absolutely fucking not. You either, one, misunderstood the warrant, or two, you didn't fucking read it because it gave the government authority to look for any evidence pertaining to fruits or instrumentalities of key suspected racketeering offenses. The FBI was looking for evidence of DOS victims, and they found most of the women in compromising positions or poses on Keith's hard drive, including images of Camilla as young as 15. (sighs) Therefore, the images were used to show Ranieri's motive and intent, and the evidence was necessary to understanding the formation and structure of DOS, which qualifies as evidence of racketeering. Like, that's mm-hmm. what racketeering is. So it's like, you motherfucker that wasn't planted. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's, fine. it's fine. Everything's fine. The court said <laughs> even if the warrant had not covered instance, instances before 2015, which it had, the FBI was still within their right to obtain his images of child pornography because it's protected under the plain view exception, which basically says police, police officers may access objects before having a warrant if they have probable cause to suspect that the item is connected to criminal activity. Specifically, the court says, quote, a person of reasonable caution would be believed the images constituted evidence of a crime, specifically sexual exploitation of children, end quote. So Allison Mack and Claire Bronfman pleaded guilty to racketeering charges in April 2019. Bronfman received 81 months in federal prison, and Allison is still waiting to be sentenced. Catherine Oxenberg wants people to remember that Keith silenced others by intimidating and threatening them. She said, quote, that's why I think anybody who leaves a group like this is incredibly brave and deserves that respect because I've said it before, it takes the average woman seven times to leave an abusive relationship. Now imagine that from an entire organization. It's very difficult, end quote. India said, quote, there was something about being in that room and seeing these women speak and the amount of resilience. It was inspiring. I felt so much stronger just being with them. She called Keith an entitled little princess and a sexual predator. That's my whole story. That's what I have for you. Oh, and um, do you, do you have any end comments? 
on the story. I think it's crazy mm -hmm. that this happened so recently. Yes. And I consider myself very plugged into the news and I missed all of this. It's, it's horrifying. It's insane to me. I agree. So I'm really glad that we unpacked all of it. I know, me as well. I actually didn't even know what Nexium was until my hairdresser said she saw one of the documentaries and she was like, mm -hmm. I don't know why this is human trafficking. And I was like, actually, I think it is based mm -hmm. on the little I did know. Yeah. But um, if there's any su other suggestions of human trafficking cases in America, uh, there's an email address you can forward your request to. It's traffickedinamericapodcast at gmail.com if you want. Also, do you want to share any of your sorority parallels? Are you allowed to? I know that's like really lucky. Um, I don't want to get you in trouble. It's the secret room, mm. the setting up. Okay. The handshakes, the bowing. You guys bow to each other? Not mm, like, mm. Oh, you can't. Not to each other. You can't answer without representation. Uh, I plead the fifth. Amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Um, it's the chanting, it's the oaths. It's the oaths for me. It's the oaths for you. Yes. But um, I think sororities are a little bit of a cult. My little joined a sorority because it's the closest thing she could get to a cult. I think that's amazing in terms of the things she could have done elsewise. Like, join a sorority instead of a cult. Make, uh, let's normalize you know what? that. Join let's... a sorority instead of a cult. I'm going to yes. say it. <laughs> well, can I go off? You can go off. I think it's really impressive that you're able to do this every week. Ah, you're super sweet. Don't be this way. No, Thank you for co-hosting with me. Oh my god, anytime. You're amazing. You're amazing. We have 30 seconds left until we're kicked off. I'm proud of you. Ah, stop being this way. You're so sweet. Thanks for listening to her, you guys. Ah, She's amazing. Oh my god. Listen to all of Traffic on Spotify or whatever streaming service you use. You're cute. Thank you guys for listening. We will probably be back next week. Probably. Probably. <coughs> Bye. Mm -hmm.